Hey, thanks for listening. Keep up with our latest shows, articles, and more when you download the WOVU app. That's WOVU 95.9 FM. And make sure to keep up with the station where our voices are united. It is now time for Freedom Talk with the Reverend Dr. Jawanza Kareem Lightfoot Coven. Enjoy. One day when the glory comes, it will be ours. It will be ours. Oh, one day when the war is won, we will be sure. And welcome. You are listening to another edition of Freedom Talk Radio. I'm your host, the Reverend Jawanza Kareem Coven, pastor of the Olivet Institutional Baptist Church in the city of Cleveland, Ohio. And I am so glad that you have decided to make Freedom Talk Radio your listening choice. So that's right. Wherever you are, whoever you are and whatever you might be doing, I want to thank you for deciding to choose to be a part of this listening conversation. That's right, Freedom Talk Radio is on the air. So shalom, peace be unto you. Assalamu alaikum, may the Lord bless you. Namaste, hotep to all my brothers and my sisters out there in the community. I salute you on this day. You know what our goal here on Freedom Talk Radio is each and every week. We want to educate, elevate, motivate, and we want to liberate. We want to educate our brothers and sisters to what's going on in our community. There's so much happening. There's so much information that is out there. And so we want to be with at least one space and place where you can get information that you can begin to apply to your own situation. And we want to elevate the conversation by providing some insight, some analysis, some perspective from some of the leading research and available data that's available. And at the same time, I want to share with you my take on it because I think my take is something that I can offer that you can put in conversation with your own thinking. And out of that antithesis, synthesis, we get understanding all of that. And so also we want to then motivate our brothers and our sisters to begin to take the conversation to another level, because the real question is, how do you want to apply this to you? How can you use this information? Because information can be empowering if you know how to use it. And ultimately, we want to be a part of the liberation process, not only for each and every one of us individually, but collectively in our families and our community, because we are the ones that we have been waiting for. Freedom Talk Radio is on the air. You know, there's so many ways that you can check us out. 95.9 FM. That's right. 95.9 FM here on WOVU. Our voices united here in the Kinsman area in the city of Cleveland. Shout out to the mothership. Burden Bell Car doing community development at its best. WOVU Community Radio here right here in the city of Cleveland. You can check us out on 95.9 FM. You can check us out on WOVU.org. And when you check us out on WOVU.org, I want to encourage you to download the app. If you're using your mobile device, download the app. That's right. And you can check us out regardless of where you are in the city, outside of our tower's reach. You can still check us out 24 hours a day. 52 weeks out of the year, 365 days a year, you can be a part of this very, very important conversation. And as much as I'm thankful that you're listening to Freedom Talk Radio, I hope that you are taking the opportunity to check out all of the listening offerings here 
on WOVU. You can be entertained. You can be informed. You can be educated. You can be inspired. You can be challenged. And you can have all of that one-stop shop in terms of your listening experience here on Freedom Talk Radio. And so I'm glad to be a part of this community radio movement here in the city of Cleveland. And there's so much to talk about. We just passed 500,000 people who have died as a result of COVID. And we are starting to see a ramp up of vaccines. And this ramp up of vaccines is so critically important. It's so critically important because the sooner that we can get people vaccinated and the sooner we can get this vaccine into the arms of our brothers and our sisters safely with informed consent, all that's very, very important. And we can help people to feel good about their decision. And the sooner we can suppress this virus, the sooner we can get some return to normalcy with respect to our lives. I do not think that we will ever get back to the way it was. And we actually did a show on that when we looked at the ways in which we are going to have a different future and a different reality than the one we had in the past in in the way we go about doing our daily lives. But uh, I think that we can return to some sense of normalcy. And what do I mean in terms of normalcy? I'm talking about being able to worship together, have Thanksgiving, have Christmas together, be able to spend some time uh, together. We may still have to wear masks, but at the same time, it will be so much more assuring and uh, comforting just to be around connecting, being able to touch, reach and connect with the people that we love. And so, so dearly miss being able to be in their physical company. So this is what we've got to do with past 500,000 deaths. This does not include the number of people that are still dealing with this new phenomenon called long hauler syndrome, which is the after effects of COVID and it attacking your system. And I just want to just send a, a prayers to all of our brothers and sisters who've not had a full recovery from COVID, who are still pushing through, dealing with respiratory issues. Just want to pray that you continue to stay strong. You continue to recover each and every day. So we send blessings, positive energy. And we pray God's grace on each and every one of of you. You know, all this is happening while you see this discussion happening in Capitol Hill and in Washington regarding this one point nine trillion dollar stimulus COVID relief package that the president of the United States, Joe Biden, is trying to push through the Congress, get through the Congress and is getting great amount of support, obviously, from the Democrats. And even from Republican governors, but the Republican Senate is pushing back against this. It's so interesting that they did not have a problem when we were talking about a one point uh, or two trillion dollar tax break. But yet when it comes to a one point nine trillion dollar relief package that they've taken issue with that. Well, a part of this this package is including several hundreds of billions of dollars going toward um, vaccination efforts, going toward education going toward uh, support for uh, for businesses and employees, um, staking out a large uh, amount of dollars for minority communities as well as small businesses. And I think that's really, really important that we all get connected and get that information. So if you missed out and you're a small business and you missed out, missed out on the last PPP program, please contact your lender, go to the department of Treasury, go and look and see where you can access uh, that information so you do not miss out on this round of dollars. And one of the 
differences in this PPP package that we understand versus the last PPP package is that there will be a period of time that smaller businesses will be able to access the dollars before larger corporations will will do so. And so I really want to encourage our listeners, if you are a small business owner, to to do that. But uh, in addition to that, we've talked about this, that in this package is enough is efforts to address the issue of inequality, economic inequality. And one of the ways is through the $15 minimum wage hike that is getting a lot of opposition, a little opposition on the Democratic side, certainly a lot of opposition on the Republican side. But the issue of inequality, particularly economic inequality, is remaining and continues to be something that's deeply entrenched in this country. And we have taken several hits, particularly in the African-American community over the course of the last, uh, really the last 10 years. When you think first about the 2008 financial recession, then you think about what we've experienced with COVID. We had really not come out of, and I'm talking about the black community, we had really not come out of the recession. And now with COVID, we are seeing that it is only creating a, you know, it's what William Julius Wilson, uh, former professor, and I think he's professor emeritus, uh, William Julius Wilson at the University of Chicago talked about the permanent underclass, the permanent underclass in this country. And that's where what we are really creating in this in this country. We are creating a permanent underclass, those who will not be able to without several generations of working themselves out of it, out of being poor and being disconnected from economic opportunity. And we're talking about generational poverty. And if we don't begin to attack this at a heads on level, if we don't begin to deal with this at the most basic level, and we're talking about the most basic level dealing with the issue of healthcare and the lack thereof and bankruptcies associated with healthcare or the lack thereof or being able to pay for one's medical bills. We don't deal with the issue of the minimum wage. If we don't deal with the issue of the cost of education, we don't deal with the issue of inability to access financing, to be able to purchase a home, all of these types of things, we are going to continue perpetuating the permanent underclass and it will expand. It will expand even despite our best efforts to do otherwise. And so I am hoping that we can see something significant coming out of this economic package or this COVID relief package and we can get the $15 minimum wage. It would be a major accomplishment, but also more than that, it would be a major lift for this economy. And obviously you never get everything that you want, particularly when it comes to politics. Politics is the art of compromise. And so, you know, I'm sure that there will be some type of escalation or uh, of how and when this triggers and when this kicks in. But we've got to get something on the books to begin to lift out. But the problem is, as it relates to the pushback against the rising or the raising rather of the minimum wage is that we have an economy that is built, and we talked about this, I believe, last week. We have an economy that is built on low wage workers. We have an economy that's built on low wage workers. And whether we're talking about um, waiters and waitresses, whether we are talking about the service economy, whether we are talking about the agricultural economy, uh, whether we are talking about 
the uh, certain areas of the health system, particularly in um, at home care. These are economies that have built themselves and industries that have built themselves on low wage workers. And when the equation in and of itself is flawed, when the fundamentals are flawed, right, when the fundamentals are flawed, uh, unless you're willing to really overhaul the system, it really becomes difficult to do anything innovative with respect to to change because we have built an economy based on a low wage, low wage worker. And this fifteen dollars we know is going to take all of our efforts to continue to push because we did not vote for moderation in the last election. We voted for change and addressing the issue of well because listen i come from the you know i come from a background of cooperative economics i come from a background of self-empowerment i come from a background like many of you are listening in which while we utilize the resources of our uh of our government because we are taxpayers and we are citizens of this country and and there's no shame to be using the resources made available by government services, whether that's welfare, whether that is whether that is any form of assistance that's available. There is no shame to that game. And it's not a game. It's real life. And so at the same time, you balance that also with the continued striving and ambition to get more and to get work that will allow you to be able to provide for yourself and your family. But what we are seeing with the economic inequality is that the disparity that exists and the fundamentals in the African-American community continue to prevent people of color, black folks in this country from being able to really truly enjoy, not just equality. We're not even talking about equality. We're talking about real opportunity to get any level of advancement to improve the quality of life and break generational poverty and generational cycles of 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 of, of disparate uh, disparate circumstances, and so we want to begin to look at some of that on this edition of Freedom Talk. We want to look and go deeper in this issue of wealth inequality. I know it's something that we talked about, but there are certain realities that have taken place and certain reporting that's taken place recently here in the city of Cleveland that only brings this back to light, exacerbates already existing challenges in our neighborhoods and our communities and we've got to begin to think creatively we've got to begin to think creatively of how we can do this and i think creative collectively but also you individually have to do that as we think about how we move ourselves to a better level because on the other side of covid we've got to think about what our cold post-covid world post-covid community post-covid neighborhoods are going to look like and some are going to look worse than others and the ones that are going to look worse than others are going to be those on the brown side of town. We need to talk about that. Listen, this is Freedom Talk Radio. I'm your host, Reverend Juwan's Kareem Coven. We will be right back. When the war is won, we will be sure. We will be sure. One day, when the glory comes, it will be ours. It will be and we are back. This is Freedom Talk Radio. I'm your host, Reverend Jawanza Kareem Colvin, and we are talking about inequality, particularly economic inequality in our country. And 
as before we left, we talked about what our post-COVID worlds and our post-COVID neighborhoods are going to look like. You've heard me quote the statistic or cite the statistic that there's a likelihood that 40% of black businesses will not will not return. Now, if you lived in the city of Cleveland for any length of time, much longer than I have over these last 10 years, you know that there have been drastic changes and drastic transformations, not necessarily in a positive sense in many of our neighborhoods and our communities. Many of us and many of you rather can recall times when there were neighborhoods where businesses thrived, there were entrepreneurs, there were black proprietors. And these days have gone into the we days of the past. Uh, we're no longer there. Some of these same neighborhoods that once thrived with families, working class neighborhoods with thriving businesses um, are shadows of them, their former, former selves. Not that the people who live in these neighborhoods don't continue to make the best and push through and have the same tenacity, energy, thrive, dreams, and ambition. But the neighborhoods of themselves don't have the same anchors and assets as they had decades ago. And so, and the truth is, this is the case not only in Cleveland, but cities all over the country, urban, black neighborhoods, black communities all over the country. But we've also seen how some have been able to make comebacks depending on the economies of those regions, uh, the level of education, upward mobility and opportunity. But Cleveland has struggled to make a comeback. The city itself, particularly the east side of Cleveland, African-American Cleveland, has struggled to make a make a comeback. And even when we are pushing forward, because the fundamentals of what it really takes to build wealth, to create to create a ladder for ourselves are not present. It only continues to stifle the struggle for those who are trying to build something better for themselves and their families. Because one of the ways in which we, we've talked about this, that wealth is created is through your home. Wealth is created through your through your home. Uh, the greatest asset that anyone will ever own on average will be their home. The greatest wealth generator will be the home that they purchase, the mortgage that they that they carry, and the ability to sell it after some time, to borrow on the equity that has been generated in that home. All of these things provide a the ability to experience some type of financial strength, some type of uh, financial wherewithal when one can begin to uh, dream, aspire, expand, and consider uh, other options and create upward mobility for oneself and one's family. We've talked about on the on this show how African Americans were kept out of the initial creation of the blacks uh, of the American middle class, the American suburb, which was initiated and ignited by the the um, federal subsidies and the federal underwriting, rather, of home loans through the initial Federal Housing Authority, those programs. African-Americans were kept out of those 
programs for several decades. And we also know redlining. So we're already behind the eight ball. And then this is not even the dealing with the issue of contract of contracts um, versus mortgages, how many African-Americans. And there was a great piece done on the Atlantic some years ago by Ta-Nehisi Coates, in which many African-Americans who were kept out of the conventional mortgage market ended up buying or thought they were buying homes from true owners of property only to find out they had not mortgages, they had contracts and they were truly just in a, uh, they were really just renting and not owning only to find themselves um, being cheated out of uh, years of putting dollars down uh, and outside of truly being able to build wealth. But once again, being, being exploited, um, exploited by, by the majority class. And so these are the realities that experienced in our community for decades. And so we're at this place where without the primary generator of wealth, housing as an asset, it just continues to put us at a disadvantage as we try to climb out of the holes of the recession of 2008, out of the, the COVID the COVID recession. And we've heard, we've seen from, I think it was Jeremy Powell or uh, chairman of the Federal Reserve who just said that we will be years in this before we can recover. But here's a piece out of the uh, plaindealercleveland.com. Black Cleveland neighborhoods hardest hit by housing crisis left behind during the 2020 home sales boom. While 2020 saw a booming housing market, both locally and nationally, many predominantly black and poverty stricken areas of Cleveland, Cuyahoga County did not see comparable levels. Many of those areas are on the city's east side and in the inner ring suburbs and were also hardest hit by predatory lenders and foreclosures during the 2008 crisis. While other parts of the country also saw people lose their homes, the housing markets in predominantly white suburbs either fully recovered from the crisis or surpassed previous highs. Even as home sales prices went up in recent years, a trend that mostly continued countywide in 2020, the housing market's upswing during the coronavirus pandemic didn't benefit many majority black areas nearly as much. In Cleveland, the median house home sales prices on the west side nearly matched a peak in 2005. On the east side, where vacancy and blight still hinder recovery. The median prices were only at 44% of a previous peak. Save for University Circle, one of the hottest markets in the county where the median house home price in 2020 was $233,000. Many parts of the east side saw home sale for below $50,000. Ladies and gentlemen, that's devastating. Those are devastating numbers, but I don't have to tell you because many of us are living that reality who are listening to me as I speak at this moment. And so we've got to begin to think about how do we begin to create wealth because the post-COVID reality for many of us and many of us who are in our churches, who are living in our neighborhoods, whose families are in our schools, we have got to find some ladder to help our brothers and our sisters to be able to climb out of this. 
we know what 2000, the 2008 home uh, mortgage crisis did in America. It devastated black neighborhoods. It devastated black America. It created a, it created a level of loss that was unprecedented in, in the black community. And I think one of the things is important uh, to recognize is that home owners, the home ownership gap between white and black Americans is larger today than it was 50 years ago. It was, it's larger today than it was 50 years ago. The fundamentals are off. The fundamentals are off. So not only are we seeing African-American disparity or we're seeing disparity in home sales of African-American, but we're also now seeing a disparity or a gap between home ownership. And here we are talking about than it was 50 years ago. We're talking about coming out of the civil rights movement or the very end of the civil rights movement. All of these things, the Civil Rights Act, the Fair Housing Act, the Voting Rights Act was meant to expand opportunity. It was meant to expand opportunity. And while we did see some expansion, we do see some expansion with respect to educational, educational mobility or educational attainment of African-Americans. When you begin to look at wealth, the wealth gap, the disparity, we don't even have to talk about prison, the prison population. There are so many areas that some have even argued that African-Americans as a whole, as a whole, are worse off economically than we were than we were 50 years ago if you base it on the the gap the disparity and the widening the widening um, difference between two realities we really do live in two Americas we we really do and it's not just a black America and a white America and a whole lot of shades in between but it's also a rich wealthy America and a poor America, America of opportunity and America where opportunity is scarce. And with that, uh, there comes increasing, increasing frustration and tension. Why? Because we see that there is wealth in America. This is a real, real important point. There is wealth in America. Here's a piece coming from the Brookings Institution. There is a lot of wealth in America. America's households held over $98 trillion of wealth in 2018. Wealth or net worth is defined as total assets minus total liabilities. Assets are resources with economic value. Think houses, retirement funds, savings accounts. Liabilities or debts is the opposite. Think mortgages, student loans, and car loans. In 2018, U.S. households held over $113 trillion in assets. That being the case, however, the share of wealth in the economy is increasingly owned by families in the top of the income distribution. The top 20%, top 20% of households held 77% of total household wealth in 2016, more than triple what the middle class held defined as the middle 60% of the usual income distribution. In fact, the top 1% alone holds more wealth than the middle class. The top 1% 
of households in America owned 29% of household wealth in 2016. That's 25 trillion dollars. 25 trillion dollars. 1% of American households owns 29% of household wealth. The other 19% own the other 77% of total household wealth. Ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, now you see why it's important what's in this package. Now you see why the $15 minimum wage is so critically important. Now you see why the $1,400 stimulus checks going out is so, so important. And now you see why the student discussions about student loan relief, whether it's going to be 10000 or 50000 or somewhere in between, because we're just trying to get back to zero. Black folk are trying to get back to zero. And when I mean get back to zero, we're just trying to get back to even on the legend. We're trying to get out the red, not even get into the black. We're just trying to get back to zero. And between 2008, which devastated our communities, and we have never recovered. When you look at the median prices of some of our neighborhoods and our communities, it's going to be very hard to generate wealth where you've got some neighborhoods that you've got extreme opportunities in terms of if you've got the capital, if you've got the means, if you can afford, if you can afford to put somewhere between 10 to 20 percent down on a home versus you are just in a space and a place where you're just trying to make ends meet. So thinking about wealth, wealth accumulation, trying to think about five, 10, 20 years from now is very difficult when you're just trying to keep food on the table. We're going to talk more about this on the other side of this break. Listen, this is Freedom Talk Radio. I'm your host, Reverend Juwan's Kareem Coven. We will be right back. When the war is won, we will be sure, we will be sure. One day, when the glory comes, it will be ours, it will be ours. And we are back. This is Free to Talk Radio. I'm your host, the Reverend Juwan Kareem Tokoven, and we are talking about some of the realities that we are seeing with respect to the, the COVID reality and the wealth inequality and the economic inequality that continues to perpetuate in our community. I mean, it's, it's almost, it's almost uh, unfathomable, right, to think that in university circle where you have homes going for $233,000, $233,000 in university circle that within three blocks, of university circle, you've got homes going for going for forty thousand dollars. Forty thousand dollars. Forty thousand dollars. You got other neighborhoods where you've got homes in on the east side of Cleveland, thirty-five thousand, thirty thousand, twenty-nine thousand, twenty-seven thousand, twenty-five thousand, twenty-five thousand. You can't build wealth. You can't build wealth. 
Now, what's what's ironic about this within blocks of homes that are selling for two hundred and thirty three thousand dollars, you've got homes selling for a tenth of that. What's ironic is, and we've said this many times, that in within the shadow of University Circle are some of the greatest health medical institutions in in the world. And yet we still have some of the greatest health disparities, uh, worst health disparities in the country. And so we're seeing that 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 there is no penetration. There is no reach. There is no that for some reason that there's a disconnect between the opportunity, the opportunities that are available for a few and the resources and the 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 resources that seem to be within reach of a certain segment of our community, even on the east side versus those um, those who are living just within blocks and within reach their their educational opportunities are, are less adequate their health outcomes are are poor their life expectancy is much worse I mean and it's just it's fascinating right but you know as I was having this conversation with someone else if you just you know, came from another planet and you began to just look at the reality and the disparity, you know, it would be easy to come up with some very simplistic reasons of why this is right. Uh, you could reduce it to, uh, any number of things, you know, uh, and as I was saying to someone just recently, you can't just read a book and start in the middle. You can't read a 20 chapter book and start in chapter 12. You got to go to chapter one. You got in order to understand the context of the content, you got to go to chapter one. These neighborhoods have been created. This is, this is inequity by design, right? Right. And we're talking about policy here. We're talking about policy. We're talking about failure to create access to opportunity or intentional depriving of opportunity. Right. This is this is a reality that has been cooked into the American into the American gumbo. And so when we think about the efforts of the current administration to we're talking about to, to lift. The floor to lift the floor. If we don't address the fundamentals, if we don't address the very basic fundamentals of income, of education, the cost of education, the cost. I mean, it it costs to improve yourself. Right. It costs to improve yourself. And. And I'm talking about in a world and a country where it shouldn't be, because guess what? Improving yourself, particularly with respect to education and opportunity, one is an investment, is an investment in the nation. And I go back to this in the 1950s, you know, in the 1950s, Dwight Eisenhower created a, uh, signed a National Defense Education Act, National Defense Education Act or something to that effect. And it invested 
billions of dollars into America's colleges and universities around the hard sciences in order to compete with during the Cold War with Russia. In other words, it was recognized that education and creating educational opportunities and expanding and investing in education was critical to national defense. Right. It's funny. And we live in a time where, you know, we talk about uh, energy independence. That's the issue of national defense. Um, Issues of being able to do surveillance and intelligence and being able to access people's communications and their uh, social media and being able to access people's phone and communication records. That's the issue of national uh, national defense. When you begin to talk about all of these other things, even when you begin to, to talk about uh, tax breaks, some people say that's a matter of national security because if we don't if we don't create uh, you know if we don't create opportunities for for people to be able to have more access to dollars and be able to invest in the economy, a weak economy is a threat to national defense. No one talks about. Investment in education as an investment in national defense and national security. They did in the 1950s. They understood. They understood that. And so with the in many respects, the marketization of higher education and the commodification and the corporatization of higher education, where you can cost tens of thousands of dollars just getting a B.A. degree, let alone a a master's or something else, you know, but the cost of education, you can go in tens of thousands of debts. And we have to even make a, make a point and re, re acknowledge the fact that debt collection in and of itself is a billion dollar business, multi-million dollar business, that debt collection, that debt in America is big business and keeping people in debt, maintaining debt, whether that is college debt, whether that is medical debt, these are big business. And so there's a certain level of continued, there's a le- certain level of, in, of, of vesting, people being vested in a permanent underclass, people being poor, people not having access to opportunity, or if they want access to opportunity, they got to pay a high price for it. And so if you want to get a college education, if you want to get technical skill training, if you want to get even uh, community college, you got to be willing and you got to be able to uh, go and get in debt, be willing to get in debt. Now, we can have a long conversation of that, but we've seen we've seen uh, companies, we've seen companies, major lawsuits get sued, then they can write off write off settlements. We've seen that. We've seen that. There's no space in place for that. We've seen no space in place for that for the individual person who goes bankrupt or the individual person. We see efforts to try to prevent people from being able to declare declaring bankruptcy because people want their money when it comes to individuals or corporations. And it's amazing how we we um, what do they say? We we socialize losses. Right. And we capitalize gains. And so we are in this moment where. If we don't begin to look at the very, very fundamentals of inequality, whether we're looking at the home prices that 
if you are having if it it's I if you are having homes that are selling for only twenty four for twenty five thousand dollars. I'm not sure what affordable housing looks like, because that's not a, just a reflection on the housing market. That's a reflection on the levels of opportunity that exists in neighborhoods and communities, levels of opportunities. And so we got to begin to think about how do we create pipelines out of poverty, right? And not just wait for some, you know, some panacea because it because even if it's the $15 minimum wage, that's going to kick in. It's going to take years. Even if it becomes creating greater opportunity for people to access, you know, homes and be able to purchase homes for some people just still getting into a place where they can even have the level of credit. They can be able to um, secure the, the the down payment in and of itself is still a challenge. And so we've got to begin to think in different ways. How do we create pipelines of opportunity? And, I, you know, there are some things that exist because let me say I was having this conversation with somebody yesterday and and I was saying that the one thing that we lack. We lack. And when I talk about we, I'm talking about the one thing we lack, it seems, in terms of leadership in Cleveland and leadership in Cuyahoga County. We lack imagination. We lack imagination. And it takes imagination. It takes imagination to think differently of how we can get ourselves, because the conventional politics, the conventional economics, the conventional solutions, we've seen where they have gotten us not far. We've seen where the conventional approaches to criminal justice reform. We've seen where the conventional approaches to housing. We've seen where the conventional approaches to education. We've seen where the conventional approaches to poverty. They have not gotten us anywhere. We need people with imagination to lead this city, to run this city, lead this county, run this county, lead are to serve in civic leadership, community-based leadership. We need people with imagination, not just people who know how to sign, push pencils, you know, dot I's and cross T's. We need people with some serious courage and imagination because the where we are is that people can't even get back to zero. Can't get back to zero. If the best, if the, the greatest way to create wealth, history has proven in American, in America, is through land. And after land, it's been through home purchases and mortgages and building wealth through your home. If we have the majority of black neighbors in the city of Cleveland selling homes at $25,000, there is no access to wealth. There is no access to wealth. So we got to create pipelines to break to break this. And the only pipeline is to create wealth and build the assets, not just in our homes. but We have to build the asset within ourselves. We are our biggest asset because the current reality is financially. These homes are not our ass biggest asset. It's got to be us. We are our biggest asset. We've got to invest in ourselves. And nobody is coming. Let me tell you, nobody's coming to save us. Nobody's coming. There is no great, no great plan, no great. There will be no New Deal 
coming out of this Congress. No new deal coming out of this Congress. There will not will be no grand, grand plan, grand vision. It's great what was promised, but we can't wait on promises. We've got to invest in our biggest asset and our biggest asset is not our homes. The data is proven that. And the history is proven that the biggest asset is ourselves. Listen, on the other side, we're going to talk about how we can invest in ourselves, how we can invest in our biggest asset. On the other side of this break, this is Freedom Talk Radio. I'm your host, the Reverend Juwan Kareem Coleman. We will be right back. Oh, one day when the war is won, we will be sure, we will be sure. One day when the glory comes, it will be ours. And we are back. This is Freedom Talk Radio. I'm your host, the Reverend Juwanza Kareem Colvin. And we are talking about pulling ourselves out, lifting ourselves up, finding a way where there is no way. That's what we've done for all our history. And as we do this last Freedom Talk of Black History Month, is really, we come from a people that's had to make a way out of no way. So here's a Reality. The reality is, is that our biggest asset for wealth gain is not creating any wealth. Those were the numbers are shown. Those were the numbers are showing most recently by Cleveland.com, uh, where the average home on the east side in black neighborhoods twenty five thousand dollars. That's not a wealth builder. So there are ways that we can. You know, think about neighborhood development, think about how we can improve our blocks and increase home values. Those are things we can do collectively because increasing home value is not just about your home, it's about your block and the other homes that are in your 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 neighborhood and whether they are up to par, whether they uh, whether they are occupied, whether there's any blight, uh, boarded up homes, and so the, the value and the wealth of your home is not simply contingent on what you do in your home. But as I said, there is another asset you can invest in, in addition to your home. That's you. That's us. The greatest asset we can invest in is ourselves. I used to always say this, and I say this at the Olive Institutional Baptist Church from time to time, is that many people will, will invest more in a car and spend more, more on a, spend more money on a car than they will on themselves. And the truth of the matter is, when I talk about investing yourself, it doesn't even mean you've got to spend a whole lot of money. But what I'm saying is that you've got to be willing to look at your greatest asset, which is you, and create an opportunity and a ladder for you to increase your own value. And how do we do that? We do that in a number of ways. One, we increase our skill set. We increase our skill set. And one of the things that we are learning, and I think that we are learning in this present moment, is that college education, while very, very important, college education is not the only path to prosperity. College education is not the only path to prosperity. Our mothers and our fathers have known that. Uh, and I think that after the 1960s, 
with the expanded opportunities in the professional class for African-Americans, many African-Americans were so focused on being in the professional class, they didn't see realize there were still opportunities existing in the vocational class. And whether we are talking about in the trades, whether we're talking about in construction, whether we are uh, talking about using your hands, you can still at a fraction of the cost invest in yourself using both your mind and your hands and still create an opportunity for prosperity and to experience that at a fraction of the cost than it does for those who want to go to college and want to a, who want to aspire for a professional life uh, and a professional career, but a vocational career and, you, and you're still a professional, but a vocational career, it can be a pipeline to prosperity. And we're seeing that already with many of the programs that are at Tri-C. We're seeing that already with many of the online uh, programs that are available through IT certifications. We are seeing that already, how we know that IT programs and IT education is the wave of the future. And that is where you can get a quality education at a fraction of the cost. And in many respects, the IT starting salary for an IT help desk person is $40,000. $40,000 at a fraction of the cost of education, learning a skill over 12, 12 months. And you can be investing in yourself at a fraction of the cost and put yourself on a better road. But at the same time, we got to help our brothers and our sisters who are in who are willing to invest in themselves, but we have industries and a society that doesn't want to take the chance of investing back in them by giving them an opportunity, giving them a job. And that's why we've got to address these issues of um of we've got to address the these issue of cash bail. We've got to address the the issue of criminal records and how we can remove after a period of time criminal records, uh, particularly for those who have committed nonviolent, uh, low level offenses. So to create opportunities and paths so people will not have to remain in a permanent space of lack because them improving their situation and participating in America's economy, making them tax paying America Americans where they can put back in the country's coffers is to the country's benefit. Making education high, making it harder for somebody to find a job, making it difficult for someone to go to work every day because they can't pay a $500 or $200 bail price only hurts the country and it hurts the economy, right? And so we got to begin to invest not only in ourselves, but within the community, we got to invest ourselves in dismantling the things that perpetuate poverty. Cash bail perpetuates poverty, right? Having people to continue, particularly low those with low-level nonviolent offenders, and I'm starting there because this is low-hanging fruit, uh, prevented from getting a job, Preventing you from getting a job because they've got a record for something that's unrelated to the job to which they're seeking. It was so long ago, right? And it, that they can't access a job perpetuates poverty and hurts the economy, right? 
And so, and then when you create further restrictions where you can't, if you got a criminal record or you committed a felony, you can't access certain benefits or you can't get into, uh, get a student loan and you can't get, when we have perpetuating policies that only reinforce a poverty class and keep people, it's only hurting the country. And so when you look at where we are right now in terms of the meeting, the median prices of homes on the east side, except for University Circle, it's only going to hurt the city of Cleveland. And so that's why, again, and I, and, I, and I always like to give and commend, that's why I say yes is a win. Say yes is a win. The creating an opportunity for these young people once they leave Cleveland Public Schools to get an opportunity to go into a uh, to get an educational opportunity so they can create a pipeline to prosperity for themselves is important. It's not, it's not a panacea. It is not a panacea because for every one of those, those young people, you've got some other people who are in their thirties and their forties who have a criminal record or, you know, or have a, a, a sizable amount of debt or dealing with a bankruptcy. And we have got to be re- re- dismantled the institutionalized, the institutionalized realities that prevent people from getting themselves back to zero. And when I'm saying zero in an even space where they can even think about creating wealth for, for themselves. And so, you know, we are in this space and in this place that if we are going to invest in something, we got to think about in this post COVID reality, investing in our, ourselves, using our imagination to begin to think about how do we do public policy differently? How do we do education? How we do education differently? And when I'm talking about education, how do you educate yourself and train yourself differently? Because, you know, people are not willing in this economy to want to invest $20,000 in a student loan or forty dollars or $50,000 a student loan with, with the state of this economy. And so we've got to begin to think about other paths to prosperity like the tri- what like the community college, the Tri C programs, like the vocational programs, like instead of the four year programs, which are available if that's the, where you want to go to go in a much more uh, high skill, highly specialized professional uh, professional workforce. But the vocational path, in some respects, even a shorter time period, you can build your skill sets over time while still making money and build your skill set through certifications as well as licensing to create a path. Though, where we currently stand, the building of wealth through home ownership is a dire, is in dire straits in black America, particularly in black Cleveland. But it doesn't mean that you can't still invest in something. and You can invest in yourself and create your own path to your own prosperity for you, your family, and community. Listen, I got to go. This is Freedom Talk Radio. I'm your host, Reverend Juwan's Kareem Colvin. I hope you take this seriously because the truth is you may not realize it, but you're the answer to your problem. This is Freedom Talk Radio. I'm your host, Reverend Juwan's Kareem Colvin. I'm out of here. Oh, one day when the war is won, we will be sure.